are in a series here on the Beatitudes, and we're looking at these statements. Jesus, it's this thing called the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus begins it with these announcements, these pronouncements, these uh, blessings. Uh, we've spent a lot of time just trying to focus in on this idea of blessing because for so many of us, especially if you've lived most of your life in the Bible Belt, um, when you hear the word blessing, it comes with certain connotations, right? It comes with this assumption of what it means, that to be blessed means that you're successful, that you're favored, that everything is sort of going your way, and that um, you're blessed because you're somehow more faithful and more uh, true or whatever than everybody else. And what we, we've been looking at is that in these Beatitudes, Jesus actually pronounces blessings on people that we wouldn't normally put in the category of blessed, like the poor in spirit or like those who mourn. Um, and so we've adopted a definition of blessing that has really been guiding our conversations. And that is that blessing, essentially when Jesus says you're blessed, what he's saying is God is with you, God is on your side. When Jesus calls the poor in spirit blessed, he's announcing to them that right there in their poverty of spirit or in their poverty, God is with them, God is on their side. The same thing with those who mourn, and today we're going to talk about those who meek. Uh, Frederick Del Bruner says, the Beatitudes do not first of all describe people with good spiritualities so much as they describe people in bad situations. Right? These Beatitudes are not things we're trying to live our way into. And for so long, and so many sermons I've heard on the Beatitudes in my life, it really just came down to how do we help privileged people get more privilege? Right? How do we help people who are already super blessed become extra blessed? And Jesus is actually pronouncing blessing on those who have been forgotten, left out, excluded, marginalized, dis dislocated from any amount of what we would call blessing. It's like Jesus, essentially in Jesus, he's saying God throws God's lot with those who have been pushed out and forgotten. Right? And there's something powerful about that. So we've been asking, like, who, who are the people that Jesus is pronouncing blessing? And then if maybe... If we don't fall in a, that category, what is our responsibility or what is the invitation for us? How do we interact with this particular blessing? So today, Matthew 5, 5, we're going to look at, uh, this is the, the New Revised Standard Version. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. I want to show you a few more translations. Um, here's the common English. This is the translation I use most often, but I just don't like how they translate the Beatitudes. Um, so if you know somebody on the translation team, if you could just pass that along, that would be great. If they could fix this in the update. Um, happy are people who are humble because they will inherit the earth. This next one, I stumbled upon this, didn't know it existed. The God's Word translation. Are you kidding me? How, how do you one-up every other Bible translation? How do you win the Bible translation game? Oh, yeah, King James? Mm-mm, not where it's at. This is the God's Word translation. NIV? Psh, that's so 1989. This is the God's word translation. I just, it's so like presumptuous or something, don't you think? Um, blessed are those who are gentle. They will inherit the earth. And then the last one is uh, the message. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. Look, I believe a thousand percent that it's good to be content with you, all of that. But the problem with this translation is it turns this beatitude into something you do. 
right? And the thing we've been exploring and, and coming to terms with is these Beatitudes aren't categories we're invited to live our way into so we get more blessing. These categories, these Beatitudes are announcements to people who are in really rough situations that in the roughness of their situation, in the difficulty of their life, in their uh, exclusion, in their marginalization, that God is with them. People who have been told maybe their entire life that God, if, if you're here, God is over here. No, 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 Jesus says. God is with you. God is on your side. So who are the meek? Are the meek the humble? Are they people who are gentle? Are they people who are really content with who they are? I don't think so. I think when Jesus talks about the meek, and we're going to discover this a little bit more as we go, but I think Jesus is talking about those who have been bullied. I think the meek are those who have been pushed down, pushed out, taken advantage of. The meek are those people who are outside of power and have no real access to power. People whose voices have not just not been centered, but they've been silenced. Right? The, the meek are essentially people who, it, it sounds on the front end to say they're going to inherit the earth. The meek don't get the earth. The meek don't really get anything. I mean, they're meek. Right? And we live in a world that centers and rewards the opposite of meekness. Like, how many of you would go to a movie, like, it's fast and furious. It's not like calm and mild-mannered. Like, nobody's going to that movie, like, where people just drive cars at reasonable paces. Like, nobody's going to go, who's going to watch that? You want fast and furious, right? How, how, we actually have a, an entire, uh, our economy in some ways is dependent on this one day a year, after the day we give thanks, where people go out and spend lots of money. It's called Black Friday. That is not a holiday or a shopping day geared toward the meek because the meek may inherit the earth, but they do not get bargain prices on 70-inch flat screen televisions because the meek aren't going to do what it takes to get the TVs, right? They just aren't. They're going to, like, hand them to other people. Please take the TV, right? The meek don't get the good deal. We reward and celebrate the go-getters, right? We celebrate the alpha types, who sort of dominate their way into what they want and success and power. We celebrate the sharks, not the minnows the sharks end up eating. When you think about, we live in a world, specifically in the United States, we live in this country where over the course of a global pandemic, the, the richest CEOs of companies got richer and richer and richer by billions of dollars, and their employees some of them uh, weren't making a living wage, right? You, you have uh, CEOs buying yachts for their super yachts, right? And some of their employees can't feed themselves or their families. And yet we reward, yes, this, this is the American dream. This is what we celebrate. Power at any cost. Success at any cost. No matter who you have to run over, no matter who you have to trample, no matter who you have to ignore, no matter who you have to silence, the point is more power, wealth, the whole thing. And into this, Jesus talks about the meek. Actually, a couple weeks ago, there was a meeting of uh, NATO leaders, and it reminded me of this meeting that happened in 2017. I want to show you just a brief clip from this meeting in 2017. Did you see what happens there? Donnie's in the back of the room. And he realizes there's a camera. And so what does he do? Move, move. 
And that was humiliating for our entire country. And yet, isn't this really how the world works? Isn't this ultimately what we end up rewarding? The person who shoved out everybody else and was first. The, the person who made themselves larger than life at the expense of anybody and everybody else. I mean, we can, we can say, oh my gosh, that's humiliating. Yeah, 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 it is. It's embarrassing. But it's also symptomatic of how we've carved up and run the world. And it's symptomatic of what we center and what we focus on and what we reward. There's actually, what's interesting about Jesus is when you, you have the meek, right? If the meek uh, get anything, the meek get the crumbs from the table. That's what the meek get. And here comes Jesus going, no, 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 the meek, the meek will inherit the earth. Now, as a good uh, observant Jew, Jesus is not making this up whole cloth. He's actually quoting from Psalm 37. And so I want to read to you uh, the first 11 verses. And this psalm is essentially set up, uh, written to people who are on the underside of power, who are struggling because people, their enemies, people with power are making their lives miserable. Do not fret because of the wicked. Do not be envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good, so you will live in the land and enjoy security. Take delight in the Lord, and she will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in her, and she will act. She will make your vindication shine like the light and the justice of your cause like the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for her. Do not fret over those who prosper in their way, over those who carry out evil devices. Have you ever fretted over people who were like just being terrible to other human beings and were really wildly successful? Has anybody else fretted over that? Yeah. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. For the wicked shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Yet a little while, and the wicked will be no more. Though you look diligently for their place, they will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant prosperity. This psalm is written to the meek who currently don't have the land. To people who are wondering how long. How long will the bullies win? How long will the people who silence us have the power to silence us? How long? And the psalmist chimes in and says, listen, I know it doesn't seem like it, but this is all headed somewhere. And those of you who have been pushed out, forgotten, and displaced, there is a coming moment when it's all actually going to be yours. Now, there's some interesting things happening with words. It helps us maybe drill down a bit into what the meek, this category of people, might be. In Matthew 5, the word pros is used to describe the meek. And it's a word that, if you look it up, it, it's gentleness, um, mildness of disposition, gentleness of spirit. And then I love, it just says meekness. Like, how do you know that you have no idea what the word means? You just repeat the word in the, de the definition. What is meekness? Well, you know, it's it's meekness, right? Like, that's what it is. You know what it is. It's meekness. Everybody knows what it is. But in Hebrew, it's the word anavim, and it means the poor, weak, stooped, bowed, bent over, or outcast, right? It's, it, I think Jesus, when he quotes from Psalm, has this sort of image in mind. The forgotten, the poor, those who have been shoved away from the table and away from a place at the table, those who have been 
um, cast out and forgotten. I love what Bruner says here. He says, the meek are not so much people seeking to avoid pride, which is an attitude, as they are people actually powerless in the eyes of the world, which is a condition. The meek aren't just, I mean, look, it's good to be humble. It's good to be gentle. All of those things are beautiful. We should do those. Yes, of course. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about people who've been shoved out and forgot. I mean, imagine, imagine Jesus before a crowd, because this is a sermon he's giving in front of a crowd. Imagine the people in this crowd. A massive chunk, if not 99% of these people, are following Jesus around, listening to his sermons, which means they don't have land to work. That these are people who very likely are in the, the poverty class. And they're following Jesus around because they have been displaced from their land. And when we talk about being displaced from land, like, you have to understand that for people who the land had been their inheritance, it was essentially passed down. They were farming the same land that their grandparents had farmed, and their great-grandparents had farmed, and their great-great-grandparents had farmed. And imagine they would try to trace their lineage all the way back to the distribution of the land, of the land in the book of uh, 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 Joshua and uh, the Torah, right? They would, have had to, they would have grounded their identity, their identity. Identity was wrapped up in this land. And Jesus, they're listening to Jesus, and they're landless. They have been disinherited. They have been dispossessed because of things like predatory loan practices. Aren't you glad we have advanced so far in human civilization that we no longer have predatory loan practices? Like, aren't you glad we're just so advanced and civilized? There, there are people in our world to this day suffering this same thing. And when Jesus looks out at this crowd, he sees the meek who have been dispossessed, who people of wealth and power came in and they made some deals and they got behind and they made some loans and suddenly they were foreclosing and the land that had been in their family, that had nourished their family, had fed their family, was gone. It is colonialism 101. Right? That is how it has always worked. And to these folks, Jesus says, those of you who have been dispossessed and displaced, there is a moment coming, and in that moment, the whole earth belongs to you. What in the world is this promise about? Look, I, I think maybe one of the reasons is this, like the meek inherit the earth because maybe they're the only people who won't destroy it. Right? I think we have to ask questions like when it's 115 degrees in Portland, not Tennessee, that'd probably be normal, but I'm talking about <laughs> in the Northwest. You know, we have to ask questions like, our planet is in crisis, it's in peril. And we are trading our comfort in this moment for the future of our planet and the future of our generations to come. Maybe the meek inherit the earth because they're the only ones, maybe they'll be the only ones left to be on it. But maybe they're the only ones who won't destroy it. I think this promise is actually grounded in this idea. Uh, so there's this idea in the Hebrew Scriptures of jubilee. Is that familiar to anybody? Um, so it, it's in the Torah, it's in the law, and there, this idea was that every 50 years, all debts are removed. Like, like Visa headquarters gets wiped out every 50 years. And the point was to keep this growing gap between the rich and the poor from growing and to keep people from losing their family land forever. So you may have lost your land for a few years, but in the year of Jubilee, that land is all yours again. It's like a societal reset to keep the gap from growing too large, to, to make sure that there aren't people with super yachts while there are also people who can't 
feed their family, right? It was this. Now, what's really interesting, if you talk to scholars about this, let's say it's brilliant, it's progressive, and it was never practiced. There was no evidence that Jubilee was ever implemented because some of our best ideas are painful and cost. And when it comes down to, like, actually doing it, it, it maybe is a little too much for us. But I think Jesus is talking about Jubilee. I think he's talking about uh, an alternative kind of society. Because that's what Jesus is building. He is building, and the word we've talked about is kingdom. That's kind of an archaic word, but another way to talk about it would be kingdom, like the relationships, or even the commonwealth. Jesus talks about this idea of God has a kingdom. God has a dream for the world. And the invitation of Jesus again and again to us and to his listeners is let's bring that world into existence. Because here's the thing. The kingdom will not come without us. It just won't. Like for people who have been waiting for a dramatic top-down kingdom enforcement for a couple thousand years, you're still waiting because it won't happen. If God is going to change the world, it will always happen through flesh and blood human beings joining God, embracing the vision, and actually implementing it into the world. And to do that, we have to get really honest and talk about how we currently are carving up the world and how we're currently organizing the world. Right, which means we may have to teach our kids things that are painful. Right, instead of legislating that we can't even talk about them, because it makes us feel bad. Uh, Yes, as, as a white person in this country, I should feel bad when I read our history. I should feel bad. I should recognize that my privilege is built on something. Um, unearned and undeserved and unfair. And that has been built on the backs of far too many human beings who were treated as property, not as human beings bearing the image of God. I actually think, can I go on a rant? I actually think one of the biggest problems that I'm seeing from like white people on the internet who are just completely freaking out about coming to terms with our history in this country is because deep down, what we're afraid of is that we're going to lose power and other people will have it and then they will treat us the way we've treated them. And if that's our fear, we need to repent because what we're talking about is justice. What we're talking about is jubilee. What we're talking about is a vision for the world. And if our vision for the world is Jesus' vision for the world, then let's Let's move toward that world. And it will not happen without us. It will not happen without our participation. It will not happen without our grief. As if grieving our past is somehow bad or wrong or unpatriotic. When, if you missed last week, you can listen on the internet. But actually, um, there's this great line in the office where (laughs) Michael Scott says, there is, ask Charlie Brown, there is such a thing as good grief. There is such a thing as good grief, grief that leads to repentance, and not like in the I feel bad and I'm like I feel guilty and ashamed. No, no, repentance, changing your mind, changing your direction, changing the way you live your life, changing the way we organize our country, changing the way we uh, organize our society, changing the way we spend our money, right? And I think that this is the invitation of Jesus. And it's been so easy for Christians to just turn around and go, well, let's just focus on going to heaven when you die because that costs nothing. And we can't prove it or disprove it, so they can't argue with it. When they realize it, it seems like Jesus' message was grounded in soil. It was grounded in people. 
is grounded in a movement to make the world better, to make the world what Jesus trusted was God's vision for the world. And we haven't even gotten close. But that doesn't mean we can't. It doesn't mean we can't. Jesus is building, ultimately, this is what makes Jesus brilliant. Jesus is building a movement out of meekness. When you think about the people Jesus pull, pulls into his discipleship pool, I don't even know what you call like his group, these are, not, these are not the people you would pick first if you're trying to put together an all-star team of theologians. Right? These are fishermen. These are not people trained in rabbinic Judaism. These are people who are just living their life and are caught up into a movement. Um, when, I was, when I started growing, as some of you have mentioned, I'm tall, which is like the only socially acceptable thing you can scream at somebody across the are like, how tall are you? And it's fine. It's totally fine. But I remember the first time when I started getting tall, I, I got picked first for the basketball team, like at recess. And then they saw me play. <laughs> and I no longer got picked first. I was sort of the one everybody's like, God, we'll take him. We'll take him, but he's not very good. Like, I, I imagine, like, if you're putting together the team, you would at least go for somebody with some credentials. Uh, and Jesus doesn't. He, he, he begins with people who would have been excluded, marginalized. Their voices had been, it's not that they didn't have a voice. They tried to use it, and it's been crushed. Right? And Jesus begins that, his movement, with people like that. And then he invites the wealthy and powerful to fund it. It's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. Well done, Jesus. But when you think about the movement Jesus built, like there's a reason why, you know, people who are sort of in the, the, the tough, I'm so tough and so, like there's a reason why they want to turn Jesus into a guy who, you know, is angry and violent and vindictive because the real Jesus just cuts against everything that we've, so many of us have been taught to value. Right? We, we take Jesus and turning him into an idol of toxic masculinity instead of this Jesus who actually is doing something radically beautiful in the world. Jesus is calling us to be people of compassion because that's what God is like. That's what God is like. God is not angry and distant and hateful and mean. God is like this. God is compassionate. God is love. God is full of warmth and embrace for every one of God's kids. Jesus taught us to reject revenge and violence. And in, as a species, we have worshipped at the altar of revenge and violence our entire time on the planet, it seems. How's that working out for us? If you, if you do this, and it always fascinates me, that as a country, we have more nuclear weapons than it would take to blow up the world. What are we going to do with the extra ones? It's not even grounded in logic. It's reptilian brain I've got to have more bombs than everybody else. Right. Have you ever been in a restaurant? I was in this restaurant, and this person walks in with like a sidearm. I was like, this, are we in a saloon? What is happening? <laughs> what about sushi makes you feel like this could go down? Like, <laughs> I don't understand what you're, like, there's this paranoia we live with. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. You just got to, you, you want to build a better world? You got to leave this violence and revenge behind because there's a better way to be human. Share your resources with each other to actually love our neighbors, not just in word, but also in deed. And if you're wondering who your neighbor is, if you're doing the math, Jesus sort of says it's everybody. It's about sharing power, not hoarding it for our own advantage. That's what Jesus continually teaches. Share power, 
push it out. Don't hold it and hoard it. Give it away. Because the more people who have voice, the more people whose voices are heard, the more we center experiences in voices that we've actually pushed to the margins, actually the better we all get. And so the thing, uh, this may shock you, I'm not, uh, I, this blessing isn't for me. I, I'm not meek. I, I was born into the world the opposite of meek. Like I just showed up. Not meek. Nobody had to teach me just how I came to the world. What do I do with this? If you happen to be in my shoes, what do we do with this? I really think that our role in these Beatitudes isn't to figure out how we can benefit from them, but it's to figure out how we make them happen. How do I embody blessing for the meek? How do I use whatever I've been given? whatever amount of influence, whatever amount of voice, whatever amount of platform privilege, whatever, how do I use that to make sure that actually in the end, when heaven and earth collide in a beautiful way because we have chosen to make heaven and earth collide in a beautiful way, that the meek really do inherit the land, that there really is enough for everybody. And I think one of the ways that Christians, and we've, we've gotten this wrong so long, but one of the ways we've reminded ourselves of this work from the very beginning like day one, is through a practice called Eucharist or communion. And the reason this is important, and the reason we do this at Grace Point all the time, every single week we take communion. And, and if you're new here, you may be like, this church feels a little non-traditional. This feels like a traditional thing. Like, we don't do this because we have to or because like, God, we feel like God will get us if we don't. Um, here's why, here's why I, I think it's important. Because in its original, like we got this right? I hope you weren't hungry. This is what you got. Um, and this is the gluten-free option. If you got the other one, it just tastes bad. I want to prepare you for what you're about to get, um, if you're going to have that. Um, but, but here's why we do this. The early Christian community was grounded in meal, in a practice of eating where everybody, and, and this would have been people from across the spectrum who were joining this movement, the poor, the rich, slave, free, male, female, Everybody who had their own sort of stratified roles in society were gathering around one table and everybody was bringing what they could or nothing if they couldn't bring it and everybody was eating the same food and everybody, everybody, the only prerequisite was hunger and thirst. And everybody gathered around that table and everybody got enough to eat and everybody got enough to drink and everybody had a place. And my gosh, how we have messed this up for 2,000 years by turning it into a ritual and then deciding you have to do this, 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 this. It's free gift, but this, 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 and this. Which is why for me, we do this at Grace Point, what it means to me is it is a reminder for me that this is not our table and that as we gather together in this place and do this thing together week after week, that it is my calling and my responsibility to go and fight for each and every one of us in the world. That we belong to each other. And it is my calling, in whatever way I can, to embody that blessing in the world. So that the meek really do get the earth. So that the poor in spirit really do know that the kingdom is theirs. So that those who mourn do not mourn without arms around them holding them tightly. So I want to invite our band. Um, they're going to come up. And we're going to sing. Um, and if you didn't get some communion elements when you came in, if you just want to throw your hand up, we'll get those to you.
So we've got a few people down front. If somebody could um, do that. And so one of the things we do every week as a way of reminding ourselves uh, what this is about um, is we do this liturgy and we have this reading. And what this reading ultimately reminds us is that this is not our table. This is Jesus' table. And Jesus' decision at Jesus' table is that every single human being has a place. And that I know for some of you, you are in this room today, and this may be the first time in a long time you've taken communion, or maybe you're not even want, you don't even want to because it, maybe it feels weird. That's totally fine. Nobody's expected to participate. But maybe you're here, and this has been used as a weapon of exclusion against you your entire life. You've been lied to. And it wasn't even well-meaning. It was about power, and it was about control. Because the radical message of Jesus is, you are welcome. I forget that. You're not welcome. You are affirmed. You are included. And you are celebrated. Simply because you exist. Simply because you are God's beloved child, in whom God finds great joy. So if you have elements and you want to participate, I want to invite you to stand with me as you're able. And we're going to read this together, affirming our participation together. Read this with me. Come to this table, you who have much faith and you who struggle with believing. You who have been here often and you who have come for the first time. You who are at peace and you who feel despair. We are all part of the human family, and there is a place for us here. Christ invites everyone to the table. May this bread and wine unite us all. Hear, hear.